Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. This is a this is a time that uh, several years, uh, maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago, we decided to start doing this periodically through the year, and it is really... It's really foundational that we worship as a family, okay? I know we parse things out, students over here, children over here, preschool over here, but we really, really, really need to come together as a family. It is the model in the scriptures. It's what we, we should be doing. And so let's, let's keep this, uh, as a regular rhythm. And besides that, kids, I need your help today. Your parents need your help today. What I'm talking about today, you're probably better at this. Sorry, moms and dads. You're probably better at this than mom and dad. Uh, and and on, on, a, on a scale that, that, that hopefully will make sense because this will be something that probably you embrace and do almost naturally and even wonder why other people don't do it. And so be thinking about like that. Here's the question I want to pose to you as we get started today. Do you have a prayer life or do you have a life of prayer? Do you have a prayer life or do you have a life of prayer? Now, as I ask that, it's not intended to be a unsolvable or unsolvable riddle, okay? There, there's actually an answer to that. I know it's a little bit complex and subjective for sure, but I want to ask some clarifying questions that maybe will help you answer yourself and to figure out where your prayer life or life of prayer is. Okay, so here's the first question. Is prayer my first resort or my last resort? Is, is prayer my 411 call or my 911 call? Now, those of you who are around here in landlines know what 411 means. Uh, you can't, I don't even think you can use 411 today. That's what you call for information. You got, you got information from the 411 call. All right. The 911 call is the last call you make whenever you can't put out the fire. And if you got a dumpster fire in your life and you can't put it out, some people will then at that point pull the lever, pull the alarm, and they will last resort, deep dive into prayer. They'll go into prayer and fasting and, and they'll, they'll, they'll do everything to fix the situation. Prayer for so many people is the last line of defense when prayer should be our first line of offense. We use prayer to stay, to, to keep the enemy at bay when what we should do is we should use prayer to push the light forward. So it's a total paradigm shift if you are, again, using prayer as a last resort versus a first resort. Uh, so let's go to number two, question number two. Does prayer sustain me or supplement me? Do I use it as a supplement to my life, what's going on in my life, the questions I have in my life, or is it literally what sustains me? It's the air that I breathe out in, in, in my life. David Platt said it like this, prayer too often is not fundamental to what we do, but supplemental to what we do. Think about it. Answer the question yourself. Here's the third diagnostic question. Do you loathe language or love prayer? Do you loathe it? I, probably most people in this room are not going to say that they, I, I hate prayer. Uh, but unless you're in this room right now and you say, I prayed. I pray fervently. 
I prayed and fasted. I got everybody in my circle of influence to pray over this circumstance and God didn't hear it. So God doesn't answer prayer and I'm done with God or I'm done with prayer. Now I realize that that could be you today. And I want to speak grace. I want to speak truth into your life. And I hope that you'll see prayer differently when you walk out of here today. Probably not most people, but there are some people I'm sure that that describes. The second is languish. It's kind of like they have this on again, off again relationship with prayer. Yeah, they have prayer and they pray. And when they get into a particular season, they pray. You know, it takes 21 days to make a habit. Uh, we've asked you last week, as we think about, it is 28 days to Easter, okay? That's, I mean, it's a big deal, okay? It's the biggest day of our year, but Easter is only 28 days away. And, and we're going to have three different services on, on Easter morning. So find that service that's best for you, 8, 9.30, and, and, and 11 o'clock. And we're going to be in here, and it's going to be a great, incredible time. In fact, even on Friday night, we're going to have a Good Friday service. So you might want to make the whole weekend an incredible uh, opportunity to worship together as we have a worship night on Friday night. All that being said, that we challenged you last week to identify one person, just who is your one that isn't in church, away from God, far from God, maybe never even been to church. Who are your ones? Right now we're sitting on about 198 names uh, since last service even. So you might see the name you have, have up there. I'll promise you we're praying for these names. We're believing God for these things. In fact, one of you sent us in this room right now, sent me an email on Monday morning because God had already started working. You did the three things that we asked you to do and, and God all of a sudden in 24 hours began to work. This is what we asked you to do last week. Number one is identify. Who's your one? And we literally, we want you to type it in. We're going to take one name. We're going to put only the first name on there. Go, go to the next slide, guys. Uh, we want you to identify who that one is, okay? Give us who the one is. And what you're going to do is you're going to text that in to 97000, just who's your one, fill in the, and we're going to send you back another text and you're going to put your names in there. You might have three names, put them all in there. I don't care. We're going to pray for them. Okay. You're going to be praying for them because that's the investment side. And what we're going to do is we're going to, on the week, on the daily basis for 31 days, you're going to get a prayer prompt. Okay. Text message. You're going to come once a day. We're not going to pound you with these, but you're going to get that prayer prompt. It's going to give you a prayer. It's going to give you scripture. That's it. You start praying, you start investing, and then you start looking for that opportunity to invite them to be with you on Easter Sunday. Okay. This is you believing that God is going to work. Now, some people say, Hey, sign me up for 31 days of prayer. And then hopefully what we're hoping to see is it takes 21 days to make a habit, 21 days to break a habit. We're hoping after 21 days, you're already going to start seeing God's answering. God's doing this. God's working. God's warming their heart. And God's doing this. And so and hopefully you will find that you will not have a languishing prayer life. What we really want, what we really want is a love for prayer. And Richard Foster said it like this. Real prayer comes not from gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. I don't have a problem talking to Lori. My day's not complete without talking to her in the morning, in the evening, throughout the day. Text messages, heart emojis, things like that. You know, we, we're constantly staying in contact. How was your day? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you today? What did God teach you in your time today? Why? Because we are in love with each other. We have no problems talking to each other. 
Well, so it should be with your groom. We're the bride of Christ, the Bible says. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're the bride of Christ, you're a part of that, that, that marriage relationship with, the, with Jesus and fall in love with him and learn to just commune with him, talk with him throughout the day, all the time, never turning off, uh, always available. So in this trading up series, we've been talking about not just trading up, to a, to a shinier, faster, more beautiful life, though I hope it is, but it's trading up from my way to the Jesus way. From literally becoming a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, that I start following in his footsteps. And today we're going to be talking about the prayer, not just prayer life of Jesus, but the life of prayer that Jesus had and learning from him and gleaning from him. And here's the trading up statement. Okay. Jot it down. Remember it. Somehow assess it your own life. It's moving from our life with prayer. I believe most of you have a life with prayer to a life of prayer. It's totally different. It's taking it to a whole new level. How did Jesus pray? I mean, that's really, he learned to pray and he he prayed and he modeled prayer for us in in so many ways. But Jesus was a, take your Bibles, be finding the the gospel of Luke chapter 11. We'll be there in just a moment. If you got the old print version Bible, then you can also open up to Matthew 6. We'll be there also. So we'll be at both of those two passages. But think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was the consummate healer, all right? He was the great physician he was nicknamed. What did he do? He, he healed the lame. He, he caused the blind to see. He caused the deaf to hear. He even took dead people back to life again. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Okay. So Jesus was pretty good at being a great physician. He was doing things that then that we still can't do today. That's how good he was as a physician. But he was not only that, he was an incredible communicator. I mean, we're talking about Jesus was able to communicate in such a way that it left people with their jaws dropped listening intently, he was able to take the very complex things, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that even the commoners, the uneducated would understand. He was nicknamed a rabbi and yet he did not have an official rabbi position. So out of all the things that Jesus did, heal people, miracles, um, teaching, rabbi, great physician, his disciples never asked Jesus, would you help us to do miracles? Jesus, would you teach us to teach like you? Be a great communicator like you. The one thing that they went to Jesus, and not not only did they ask, they demanded it of Jesus. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Let's look at Luke chapter uh, 11, verse four, uh, verse one. Now, Jesus was praying. Okay. He was a life, had a life of prayer, uh, prayer in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples and he said to them, when you pray, so Jesus said this to them, and it's a shorter version of probably the longer version of what you've memorized, maybe as a kid growing up, of what's been called the Lord's Prayer, but you'll understand in a moment it's not the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who has indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. 
Now, again, that's a shorter version of, uh, of, of the Jesus model prayer, if you will, but we'll be in Matthew chapter six here in a, in a few moments. But I just want to emphasize two things about this passage. Notice that the passage starts, where's Jesus? He's praying. Jesus was a practitioner of prayer. He was a, he was, he mastered prayer. Let's say it like that. And then we see Jesus training. So first of all, we see Jesus as the model prayer himself. Now, when Jesus, what was Jesus doing? How did he do? How can I give evidence that Jesus had a life of prayer? Well, what was Jesus doing in the morning? How did he start his day? He prayed. I love it. I love the answer on the front row right here. Uh, Kids, please help mom and dad out. I'm telling you, you're here to help mom and dad today. Uh, He prayed. Here's the the verse, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There, thank you so much. There he prayed. Jesus started his days with a full tank. Jesus lived out his life full and overflowing. He had full schedules, full calendars, full demands. He had, in fact, that's verse 35. If you go to verse 36, whenever he's through praying, you know what he finds? People in line waiting to talk to Jesus. His disciples, he can't even get away from his disciples. So Jesus was one of those who said, listen, I'm going to get away before I go into this world. Um, Before I get busy in life, I'm going to spend my time with the father. Here's a life principle. You got to you got to brand this in your mind. I can do more than pray. You can do more than pray, but you can't do more until you pray. I can do more than pray. You can do more than pray, but you can't do more until you pray. So Jesus starts his day in prayer. What does Jesus do in the middle of the day? He prayed. Thank you. He prayed. Jesus, in the middle of a busy, full, calendar-booked day with notifications and people standing in line and him healing people, what does he do in the midst of the crowds? If you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15, but now even more, the report about him went abroad. So it's like his, it's, it's spreading like wildfire, how awesome Jesus is. And great crowds gathered to hear him. And be healed. What did I say? He was a good teacher. He was a good physician. They came near to heal their infirmities. But what does Jesus do? He would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Jesus had the rhythms and the cadences of life that he would literally pull away. It was like he observed the rule of life, like he observed the, the daily office or what John Eldridge in his book I referred to last week, getting your life back. He, he observed the daily pause where he pulled away from the madness and he pulled himself aside. And what did he do? He prayed, he got alone and he prayed. You can do more than pray, but you cannot do more until you pray. Jesus Prayed in the morning, prayed in the midday. What did Jesus do in the evenings? He prayed. Very good. Answers. There it is. When Jesus was choosing his disciples, what does he do? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And these days he went about in the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to pray to God. He prayed as in prayer to God. He, he stayed in a constant state of prayer through the night as he was choosing his disciples. And you go all the way through to the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. What does he do? He goes to the garden against him and he calls his disciples. He says, Peter, James, and John a little further. And they stop and they pray. He tells them to stop and to pray. 
And he goes a little further and he prays to the point that he is literally hemorrhaging blood vessels and he is bleeding. He's praying that intensely. Goes back, his disciples are asleep. Jesus was a person who had a life of prayer. 20 different times in four gospels do you find Jesus in the act of prayer. I got one more question for you. What is Jesus doing right now? Want to take a guess? He's praying. He's praying. Let's put the verse up there. Hebrews chapter seven. Say it with me. He always lives. He always lives to make intercession. Interceding is standing in the gap between us and the Father. He is doing that. First Peter, uh, First Timothy calls it the mediator. He is standing between us and God. He's always living to make intercession for who? Us. Just would you just take that and just let that sink in? I'm, I'm looking. I see Savannah. I see Courtney. I see Chris. I see Landon. Would you would just let it sink in that He is praying for you right now? The rentals, he's praying for you right now. The strikes, he's praying for you right now. He knows what's going on in your life when nobody else knows what's going on. What if, what if you actually could just imagine for a moment on the other side of that wall in your house, you could hear Jesus' prayers for you? What would he be praying? We have a God. We have a savior who so loves us, prays for us, knows what we need. And his disciples said, I want that. I want what you got, Jesus. I want to do what you do, Jesus. I want to pray like you pray, Jesus. And so not only did Jesus pray and did he model prayer, but he trains us at how to pray. Now, this is good news for you. Listen to this. Prayer is not a gift. Some people come to the pastor and they think, okay, he's got the gift of prayer and I don't. It's not a gift. Nowhere in the scripture is it appointed as a gift. Well, but you got the theological training and I don't have the theological training. And so it's for prayers for the elites out there. No, 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 not for the elites. And that's why I'm saying, kids, you can help mom and dad pray. Because I bet you pray. No, I won't say I bet, but I will say this. It could be that you pray more than your parents. Mom and dad, what's it going to take for all of us to have a life of prayer? The disciples said, listen, Jesus. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that word there to teach is an aorist active imperative. All that means is say there's a point in time, aorist, active. It's not a passive activity. It's active and it is an imperative. So Jesus, would you do this? You've got to do this. Do this in this point in time. We're not going to kick this out a week. We're not going to wait for a prayer retreat. Would you teach us right here, right now, how to pray? That's how important it was that they had a, a, a life of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll spend the rest of our time. Matthew 6, whenever Jesus is giving the first time he's giving the Lord's Prayer. This is the second time. Call them remedial prayers that he had to repeat it again. But in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives it the first time. And notice this, he's literally teaching them how to pray. Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray, you must. Verse 6. When you pray, go. 
Verse seven, when you pray, do not. Verse nine, pray like this. He's literally saying, don't do this, do this, do this here, do this where. He's giving us the whole thing about it. But I want us to focus on verse nine and following. And I want us to see five ambitions of a life of a prayer. And I say ambitions because I want to pray like Jesus. I want to pray with that passion and that love and that commitment. And so what will that take? And this is the model that Jesus lays out for us. One is seek God's person. Seek him as God. Be awed by God, be overwhelmed by God, be in wonder of God. Say this, this first phrase in the, in this model prayer with me out loud. Okay, ready? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What a statement. Our father in heaven. You see in that statement, there's such deepness and richness in that two word, our father in heaven, father Heaven, we see both the intimacy of God and the immense depth and transcendence of God. You see that he is a father and he is intimately involved in your life, but you also see that he's the God of earth and outer space and way beyond everything that we can contain. You see the greatness of God and you see the intimacy of God. Other times in the scripture, he tells us to pray and call him Abba, Father. Daddy, Daddy. Call me daddy. I literally pray with a brother on, on our pastoral team who when he prays, he prays daddy, daddy. What if that was the, the posture of our prayer life is that we are going to the father. No, we're going to daddy. We're going to daddy who's gonna meet our needs. We're gonna go to daddy. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus models this. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans chapter eight, verse 15. Galatians chapter four, verse six are all references of praying Abba father. Do you know him? As your daddy. Brennan Manning said, the greatest gift I've ever received from Jesus Christ has been the Abba experience. My dignity as Abba's child is my most coherent sense of self. When I understand that I have a daddy and my daddy is the God of the universe, it gives me such confidence and strength and trust and abilities to face another tomorrow that I wouldn't have if I didn't have a daddy named God. I want to restore the awe of God again. I can't make it. I can't twist it. I can't use my words to make you be in awe of God, but I'm asking God of you today. God, would you restore the awe? Would you restore the wonder? Would you restore the, 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 the anticipation? Would you restore into us the astonishment of who you are, God? You are father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. When you truly look at the true Lord's prayer, mark it down, John 17, you actually find where Jesus is praying that we would, as we sang earlier, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. You see John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they see my glory that you have given me. I wanted to restore the awe of God. Wednesday morning this past week, I woke up, nobody was up. Dogs weren't even up. I had coffee, had my Bible, 
And I was just overwhelmed by the wonder of God. This doesn't always happen. So don't think that I meet in the heavenlies with the angels every morning like this. But this was one of those mornings. And I just little, I couldn't talk. I didn't have words. I couldn't put words in. And I just tried to find words to describe the wonder of God. And it, and I just rested on the old hymn, Oh Lord, my God. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great you are, how great you are. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great you are. Would you ask God to restore the wonder and the awe of who he is? Seek his person. Seek God's reign. Now, I'd have to say that this is one of the most juxtaposed statements that I I feel happens in the Lord's Prayer. He's talking about this worshiping in the sanctuaries of the heavens. But worship of God leads to the mission of God. He moves from the holy shrines of worship to the mission field of God on this earth. Say it with me. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't just stay in heavenly worship. If our worship doesn't lead us to mission, then we need to go back and examine our worship. Literally what it does is it drives us out into the fields. It drives us out not into some kingdom of man. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. There's a whole lot of kingdoms out there. There's a whole lot of dictators out there. There's a whole lot of oligarchs out there. There's a whole lot of different government forms out there. Listen, God's not concerned about any. I, this may shock you, make you mad, but God's not real big on America being his country. He's not so much sold that Russia can't be his country. He's not concerned about China or he's not concerned about South Korea. He's not even blown away by any other superpower out there. He's about his kingdom. His kingdom come. And you know where he puts his kingdom? He doesn't put it in geopolitical systems. He doesn't put it in parties. He puts it in the hearts of human beings when they come to know him and they walk with him. That's where his kingdom reigns. Whenever I was, Lori mentioned it 29 years ago, uh, yeah, 29 years ago this month, I was in the Ukraine, right? Two years after the fall of communism, shelves were completely empty. It was an incredible thing. You see me on the box there with my fanny pack and my baggy jeans. I was uh, cool with my fanny pack before fanny packs were even cool. Um, but literally what you would do in the streets of Kiev you would go down and put a box, you get a bullhorn, you stand up on the bullhorn. I mean, I'd never do this in America. You'd be, you'd be laughed off the streets. But that's what you do in that, in that day of the fall of communism. You just stand up and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. People start gathering around you. And they would stay till the very last word was said, and then they would ask for more. We'd hand out tracts until we didn't have any more gospel tracts to hand out. It was, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life to this day. As Lori said, it has shaped who we are, who I am, who we are even to this day as a church. 
That I cannot just look at my little kingdoms. I can't just look at my little Northwest Arkansas. I've got to see that God is a kingdom God of the nations of this world. And he wants his kingdom to reign throughout the earth. And, um, but you know, you can talk about the masses and what really sticks in my mind from that trip 29 years ago are the faces. It's the face of the atheist professor. That when you see his face and you understand that he says, I've never heard of this Jesus. I don't know him. Teach me more. It's Tanya. My translator, who's about 19 in that photo, but she is an evangelist. She was sharing the gospel. We were speaking, she was speaking. God was working, people were coming. We were going to government offices, schools, and universities. People would stop their classrooms, invite us in. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. But when I think about what's going on in the crane today, I don't think of masses, I think of Tanya's face. I think of that professor's face and I wonder where Tanya is today. I wonder what the kingdom is going on. It's, it's absolute disaster over there. And listen, I want to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God back to that brokenness. We're, we actually have been asked to be a part of a team that goes over in, in June uh, to work with, with refugees or displaced Ukrainians to help them in their broken world. And listen, this is like a very loose process that we're going through. It's very organized, excuse me, through sin relief. But there's like, we don't know what we're going to do exactly. I need a team of eight people and we've already got about half of them already committed, but we need people, men and women who will say, listen, I'm going to do everything I can between now and then to get in touch and know what God wants me to do and to be equipped for that. And I'm ready to go and serve whatever that may look like. If you're interested, see me. But it's not about another trip. It's about seeing the kingdom poured into people's hearts. Number three is seek God's hand. Say it with me. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I am blown away by that singular statement, We've been talking about God in the heavens. We've been talking about the hallowed name of God. We've been talking about the kingdom of God and being established on the earth. And now we're talking about bread. Yes. Because if you have a life of prayer, then even the little insignificant things like bread. You pray and you give thanks for the bread. Does your prayer go down to the micro or does it stay just at the macro? Another thing about this verse that challenges me is daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I know we're thinking five-year plans. We're thinking 401ks, fully stocked. We're, we're, we're thinking, we're thinking big things. We're thinking big cars and purchases, but God is saying, no, I want to bring it down. I want to bring it down. I want to bring it down to today. Are you taken care of today? Are you provided for today? If you're provided for today, then my friends, that ought to be a heart of worship that flows. Has God, has God given you breath? Hopefully. 
Otherwise, tell me, we'll call the ambulance. Uh, you're, you're, you're breathing. You're above the ground. Be thankful. See, I think Satan plays so much in two worlds, in our world of the past and our world of the future. But Jesus wants to live us in the world of the present. He, he wants us to live in the shame of yesterday and be crippled by it. But he, or he wants us to be in the anxiety of tomorrow, not knowing how things are going to work out. And God just says, give me this day, my daily bread. The little, the little. We were in Mali, um, around a campfire when we had a partnership in there. And again, an impoverished nation by and large. And, but we ate with the nationals. We lived with the nationals. We had a mud hut over there with the nationals. We tried to live as culturally as we could. We, we, uh, we ate rice and we ate out of a common bowl and we, we just ate with them. And it was, it was a group of guys sitting around this common bowl and there was the ladies over here, but the guys eat together and the ladies eat together. We were sitting around this common bowl and, and the guys were like, man, you know, um, I can't wait for five guys and burgers and fries. When we get back to LaGuardia airport, we we're like already thinking American fast food. We've been eating this rice and sauce for the past several days and we're dreaming of that greasy stuff. And it's funny. The Americans talk while they eat. The Malians do not. They eat. They're there to eat. And finally, one of the translators said to me, and I, I still remember, why do you keep talking about food for tomorrow when we're eating our food today? Drop the mic. Okay, sorry. Seek God's grace. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Notice this about forgiveness. At the very root of the word forgiveness is the word give. Forgiveness is always given. It's never earned. You give it. You receive it. Some people are caught in a victim vortex that they can never let go of their brokenness. And I realize brokenness is real and victimization is real. But somehow in the grace of God, it's able to rescue us out of our brokenness. It's able to pull us out of that vortex. It's able to give us hope and able to give forgiveness. How do we do that? Only, I believe it's a supernatural thing, only because you have received it. Notice this, before we're forgiving the people who have hurt us, we first have to walk in the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us, God, as we experience your grace, we're able to go and give grace. And we learn what grace is and we learn what forgiveness is through Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, my friends, you don't know forgiveness. If you don't know forgiveness, you will live in the crippling pain of shame and brokenness. There's a verse that I read earlier that just inspired me so much this week. Hebrews 7.25, you remember it? God always lives to make intercession for them. There's actually some more prior to that. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. I'm only able to walk in the grace of God because he's interceding for me because of what he's done for me. And what is he able to do? He's able to save to the uttermost. What's the uttermost? 
This word is only used one other time in scripture. It's dealing with a, a person who is, who had a broken leg for 18 years. Okay. It's like an irreparable situation. It's like so broken. There's nothing you can do with it. You just got to live with it. But what he is saying here is that Jesus is able to save even what we would deem as broken beyond repair. There's nothing beyond the grace of God. There's no sin. There's no brokenness. I love the way the message puts it in Romans 5.20. Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance, this is out of the message, in a competition with uh, uh, aggressive forgiveness we call grace. I like that. Aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins. Hands down, all sin can do is threaten us with death. That's the end of it, grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. That's the power of grace. When Jesus was talking with some of his disciples, training them on prayer, he told the parable of how not to pray. He also told the parable of how to pray. And there was this one individual who the only thing he said was a seven-word statement. But that seven-word statement was what maybe you in this room need to pray today. Because if you're looking at your life and go, okay, man, I can't be, no, I got a rap sheet. No, I, God can't touch my sin. No, I can't, I can't let go of that sin and brokenness. Listen to this. Your prayer may be to this, and this may be the first prayer you ever pray in your life, and it will be the prayer that God answers. Here's what he said. He said, be merciful Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, just put it out there. Pursue his grace. Seek his grace. Lastly, seek God's guidance. Say it with me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. I don't know that I can audit this number, but I read an article back in December that said that we make, adults make 35,000 decisions a day. Socks, pants, what you're gonna, it's, I, I don't even, I can't even, 35,000, okay, maybe they're, maybe they're exaggerated. Let's call it 25,000. Still, can you imagine? God, make the decisions of my life for me. Lead me in the path that you want me to go on. That means I'm out of the driver's seat, God. You are leading me so I don't lead myself off of the careening, uh, the edge of, of this road. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, letting Him guide our steps. Alice in Wonderland, I promise you I have not watched Alice in Wonderland in a long time. I do have grandkids now, it'll probably be coming back on. Allison comes to a crossroads and comes to a cat and asks the cat which way to go. And the cat said, well, where do you want to go? Alice says, I don't know. The cat responds, then it doesn't matter which road you choose. My friends, if you don't know where you want to go, it really doesn't matter where you go. But if you want to go somewhere with purpose, you want to go somewhere that's meaningful, you want to go somewhere that is without regret, 
ask Jesus to lead you not into temptation, but deliver you from evil. Would you bow your heads with me? I would like you to get very still and very reflective on your life for a moment. And first of all, I want to talk to those who this whole concept of Jesus praying for you and and the fact that he can save to the uttermost. There's nothing beyond his reach of his grace. I want to challenge you. Don't leave here today wondering if you are in a relationship with Jesus. Your number one prayer could be those seven words. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That may be the very first prayer of your life. And don't leave here without telling somebody. Maybe you're here today and it's like, I got so many decisions in front of me. Or maybe you don't have so many. Maybe you just have one. One big decision. You know what you want, but are you willing to let go of what you want to say, lead me not into temptation, Lord? Father, you know our hearts. Speak to us right now. I just want God to speak to you right now. Whatever he tells you, make that your next step of obedience. Father, speak to us. Don't let us leave here today without knowing you, without being in awe of you, without getting lost in the wonder of an intimate father at the same time who's beyond the galaxies of this world. You are both intimate and transcendent. God and you are the God that we worship that sends us out into this world praying that the kingdom of God would be established in the hearts of people not the geopolitical systems that are out there, not the parties and the politicians, but in people. Would you cause your kingdom to come, your will to be done? Father, we we bring ourselves to you and we pray that we would just see today, if nothing else, how absolutely awesome and in wonder we should be of you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.